Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We're going to look this evening at what to do when you've been done wrong. So we're going to kind of look at what, what Scripture says about that. Particular passages we're going to be in, like I said, with 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 is our main set of Scriptures here. In this chapter, in this particular area, we know that we were in Corinth. And in Corinth, there were some people that absolutely did not like Paul. Now, I know many of us, this many years removed later, say what? How could anybody not like him? So, Paul went unapologetically and shared the gospel. Paul told the good news wherever he was. So, he was so insistent on a Christian morality, Christian worldview, and he corrected those who tried to contradict what he was doing. Because you can imagine, as he went out and told this news, there were many different voices coming in. Others were saying, you don't have to do this, but you have to do this. You know, so it was kind of muddy in the waters in that. But there were worldly church members and Judaizers that joined forces against him. So imagine this. Paul's out trying to continue the mission of the church. And the church and Jews are against him. Now, I know that would never happen, ever happen today, that people would band together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend or something like that. But, uh, but there was one man that seemed to be the ringleader. He was the same man. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, that Paul reprimanded for having an affair with his stepmother. So the one that he reprimanded is now the one who's additionally talking to him or, or talking about him. Apparently, this man was not only trying to call out Paul, not only the same person that Paul had called out, but also he was influential. Now, what he chose to do, this man, he persisted in his sin. And he led an open revolt against Paul and taking some of the other leaders along with him. So, so not only were the church people, the Judaizers, the leaders, this man were all coming against him. It seemed like there was a growing crowd that were coming against him. And so because of his second letter, that we know that the church came back into the right way they should be living. They recognized the evil of this man that was leading them wrongly and disciplined him. But in the process, Paul was done wrong by this man and others in the church. So they said Paul had no authority to advise them that he bore no letters of recommendation from the Jerusalem leaders like others did. And they had a weak and unimpressive personal appearance is one of the things that they said about him. They also accused him of going back on his word by not visiting Corinth when he said he would. So he said he was coming. Obviously, they didn't have a car. There was no overnight flights. There was no way to get there faster. So if he was further away, it took him a while to get where he was going, right? So, so they were mad at him because he couldn't, he wasn't there early enough. 
if we look at that in totality, we see if there was ever a person that was wronged, Paul was wronged in this way, right? So because of his strong Christian witness, even under fire, he went with three basic truths. Three basic truths that we can apply to our own lives when we're wrong. So let's look at this set of scripture and hold and we'll read what this set of scripture we're going to use this evening. But we're going to go back and forth between other scriptures as well. So Second Corinthians four, eight through ten says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So for us, it gives us the way that we ought to live, doesn't it? It kind of lays it out there. It says that we are going to, in every way, face this adversity. We're going to be wronged, but we respond differently than the rest of the world around us. We have a way of living that is drastically different than the world around us. So Here's some lessons we have to learn in second Corinthians two fourteen is where this is going to be pulled from. But we learn about these lessons about the fact is anytime that you and I are wronged, we can learn a lesson from the experience and come out stronger and wiser. When Paul was wronged, he learned those three lessons that are there. So let's look at second Corinthians two fourteen. Second Corinthians two fourteen. This is the this is the lesson and this is kind of the response in verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Well, what does that lead us to understand that that there's evidence of him wherever we are, right? Whenever we are being done wrong or whenever we've. Even when we've been treated well, there's evidence of him at work always around us to lead us, to manifest through us and to remind us that he's there. So there are some lessons to learn. One of the first lessons we can learn is this, how to triumph over wrong, how to triumph over wrong. So that's one of the first lessons we can learn to triumph as defined does not mean to overcome it or defeat it. Rather, it means to refuse to be overcome or defeated by the wrong done to us. I want us to think about that. Let me read that again. To triumph over wrong does not mean to overcome it or defeat it. Rather, it means to refuse to be overcome or defeated by the wrong done to us. It's a different way of thinking, right? We're not going to let this overcome us because of Christ within us. And so it we can't control it like others do. And we might not be able to control how we respond, respond, but we can't control. We might not be able to respond, control how they treat us, but we can control how we respond to it. Can't we? You ever had a conversation with kids when they get kind of an argument with other kids, right? They did this. They did this. Or we even do that as adults. We say, well, this person said this. This person did me wrong. What's our response? What can we control? Can I control whether or not Vicky does me wrong or not? I can't. Right. I can control my response to Vicky. Right. I can control what I do in return or how I have feelings or how I treat them like Christ. I can't I can't do anything about it if she does that. 
So the victory in this has both a human and divine side. If we do our part, here's the part we need to remember. If we do our part, God is going to do his part every time, doesn't he? God doesn't just leave us out in the cold when we've been done wrong. God doesn't just abandon us when we've been through ridicule or turmoil, but he does his part. And one of the ways we overcome or triumph over wrong is endurance. Endurance is one of those ways that we overcome wrong. How many of you have ever been encouraged to endure? Maybe by a teacher, maybe by one of the leaders in your class, maybe by maybe you're on a sports team growing up and you say, you know what, they told me just to, you know, to get in there and do my best to endure it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. Second Corinthians 1 6 says this. It says, but we are afflicted. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are being comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. How many of us know that as Christians, we all have things that we're going to suffer through? And sometimes they're the same things. Sometimes they're common throughout the church and throughout the world. In this, in, in this case, Paul was being reprimanded. He was being wronged. He was being ridiculed because he was willing to stand for what he believed in. And oftentimes that happens to us too if we are bold enough to share our faith and live that out. If we're bold enough to tell people the truth in love, right? There's a difference, right? There's a difference in running up to somebody and screaming at them and saying you need Jesus and getting in their face about it or going up to them in the manner of Christ and saying, can I sit with you? Can we talk about things going on in your life? What's important to you? What have you been through? What's led you to this point? Now let me share my Jesus with you. Let me share with you the better way. Let me share with you who He is for me. And so this doesn't mean that, and I think some people get this wrong, that if we're a Christian, somehow we're exempt from suffering, right? Some people think that. They think, well, you're a Christian. You don't ever have to deal with the hard stuff and difficulties, right? You're a Christian. You don't ever get talked down to or treated in that way. You're a Christian. Everything's well, isn't it? And I think that, that sometimes we perpetuate that ourselves, don't we? Because we, we believe in our heart that things are good, but sometimes we're having a bad day. Sometimes things are just plain out difficult. And I think when we're transparent and honest with those around us, especially those that do not believe like we do, I think it helps them understand that they don't have to be perfect to come to know Jesus. They have to come as they are. They can find forgiveness in us, but they can also find forgiveness in Christ alone. This example that was given in this was about an old mule. And it went like this, an old mule thought to be of no further use was put in a deep ditch. A shovel full after shovel full of dirt was thrown down to bury him. The old mule refused to be buried. He would shake off the dirt on his back, pack it, pack it back down with his feet. And gradually, but surely, you know, he began to go higher and higher until enough dirt had been thrown on him. He stemp simply stepped out of the ditch and galloped away sometimes the way that we respond the endurance we have will get us just past what we're going through so that we can get where God wants us to go it's how we look at it how we endure but who gives us that strength 
So not only one of those things we triumph with is human endurance, but also divine comfort. Now, how many of us want the comfort that only God can bring? When we've been wronged or when we're going through difficult moments, we want the comfort of God in our lives. When everything completely does not make sense and when everything is turned upside down, we want to know that God is going to sustain us. You know, one of the things I remember from growing up is when I played football in junior high and we would set up across from one another and we'd hit one another while everybody watched. And there were several young men that knocked me on my back and would knock the air out of us. Now, could I get back up and hit him again or did I just lay on the ground and stay winded? You were going to get back up. You were going to hit him again and you were going to continue the drill because that's what the coach expected of you. He expected that of you, but that person meant me no wrong. They were just doing what we were designed to do in that play. I've got to think that sometimes we have to understand that the coach has more of an idea about what's going on than we do. That God has more of an idea of what we're going through than we give him credit for. And that Jesus certainly has walked where we've walked. So there's a sense of divine comfort. And that's 2 Corinthians 1.5. It talks about sufferings, but it talks about comfort. It says, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So just as where we have so much wrong, suffering, difficulty, hardship, pain, sorrow, it seems like we are in a never-ending battle with something, just like that, there's also comfort in abundance just that much. And oftentimes we allow ourselves to get overwhelmed with the wrong stuff, don't we? What would it look like for us to get overwhelmed with God's comfort? What would it look like for us to understand that just as we have gone through the same suffering as, as he does, that we also have the same comfort that he does? Where did Jesus find his comfort whenever he was done wrong? He found his comfort from God who was leading him every step of the way. For you and I, we find our comfort, the Holy Spirit present with us, among us, the helper is there to bring comfort to the dismay and disruptions in our lives. We cannot control what others do. And we don't have to face our trials by just gritting our teeth and going through it. And I know we think that's how it works sometimes, but the comfort of God sustains us. What does it mean to sustain, Brother Ron? Keep. To keep. To sustain. He's going to be there. We can count on Him. Between the verses of 3 and 7 in 2 Corinthians 1, there are... How many times does the word comfort appear? In 2 Corinthians 1, how many times does it appear? Well, if you look back at it, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians 1. It's either in 1 or it's back in chapter 4. Uh, but there's, there's nine times. Now, when the Bible is repetitive... What does that mean? 
trying to get a point across, right? And I know sometimes, though we would never ever admit it, it takes more than one time to get through to us, doesn't it? Sometimes we think, well, sure, I know that God is our comforter, but I am going through these things. Where does He become our comforter? Where we stop saying, but the things we're going through. God is our comforter. Period. And He is our comforter in abundance just as much as we go through the sufferings of being with Christ in this world. The God of all comfort upholds us with His compassion and care. When someone shows you compassion and care, what does that often look like? They're there for you even when you're wrong. They're there with you through the thick and thin. They're there for you when everything's going asunder. They're there for you when you're having great days too. Compassion and care. We have a God of all comfort who cares. So not only that divine comfort, not only human endurance, but also how do we comfort others who are wronged? Maybe in your life you say, well, maybe I'm that person that gets called upon all the time. How many of you are that person that gets called upon? Oftentimes you're that person that people will call and say, look, I need some help. I need somebody to listen to me. I need somebody to pray with me. I need somebody to walk with me. I need, to, I need somebody just to listen to me. You might not have a fix that you can just tell me, but I, but, but I really just want to know that you're there. So how do we respond in that way? 2 Corinthians 1.4. Somebody read 2 Corinthians 1.4 in your Bible. Read it out loud for us. So, when, once we've endured suffering and sorrow, then we're better able to help the others who've gone through hardships in life. How often has the things that you've went through, now knowingly you didn't want to go through them, knowingly nobody wants to go through rough times or hard patches or difficult moments or difficulties or ridicule or being wronged, but how often does it give you the the insight to be able to speak into somebody else's life. Can you speak into somebody else's life if you've not been through some things? It's harder, right? It's harder to speak into somebody else's life when everything's just always been good. Sometimes everything's always been good because we've never put ourselves out there or we've never been unapologetic in our faith. Or we've never been bold and make people mad for the right reasons. Sometimes when you make somebody mad for the right reasons, what happens? They start thinking about why they're mad in the first place. You know, can you believe that person came and told me about Jesus Christ? Can you believe the gall of them walking up to me and telling me that I need to stop doing these things in my life so that he could have all of me? Can you believe that? They told me I need to come to church to believe in Jesus. Can you believe that? All these kind of things. But we're better able to, to help others when we understand He comforts us in our affliction. We have that in our, in our hearts, meaning we believe it with all that we are, that He's our comfort in affliction. Then we'll be able to comfort others who are in affliction because we know what it's like when Christ comes into that moment. 
and speaks to us right where we are, right? When we know what that feels like, for me, it feels like a wave in the ocean that rolls over you. It feels like a comfort that you can't speak. When you've been fretting, worrying, turmoil, and things have been going on in your life, you've been wronged by somebody, or you've stood for your faith and nobody seems to respond, and you just kind of get to yourself and you just feel yuck about everything or feel down about things, and then you seek after God. You say, God, I'm doing everything you've called me to do. And Paul was saying that I'm doing everything you've called me to do. And I'm going to a people that don't want to listen to it. People in the church, Jews, others that just simply just want to do what they want to do. God, just help me. And God says, I've been waiting for you just to turn to me and stop fretting about these things. So comfort, sorrow and suffering. He's the one that helps us help others in life. Then the question becomes in all of this, how dependent are we on God? How dependent are you and I on God? Are we as dependent as we should? Because dependent on God means that I can't do a single thing for myself to help myself apart from God. Now, I've learned some things along the way. I've learned that a good Oreo can help my mood. I've learned some things. I've learned that a big old piece of caramel cake, it'll help a lot of things out. I've learned that peas and cornbread are good with a little mayonnaise on top. I've learned these things help you out. And I've learned what a good cup of coffee does first thing in the morning. There are a lot of things that help me out. But they don't compare to what God can do in all the times when I am going through life's difficult moments. What God can do when I'm dealing with somebody in my life that, that is simply going through the trenches of the worst day of their life and I can't do anything but pray for them. I need to know that God is going to follow through with all of His promises and what He says He will do, He will do. So dependent on God. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So they were beyond their strength. They had reached their last straw. They had reached the end of the road. They had been locked up, accused, felt, feeling like they were abandoned, feeling like they had been through everything. But even in their disparity, even when they'd been sentenced to death, they did not trust in themselves. But that last bit of that verse there, verse 9, it says, but in God who raises the dead. And, and it's kind of like this. Even if they had lost their lives, and many did, God is coming back for those who have fallen asleep in Him. You know, even if I don't wake up tomorrow, God's going to still come back for me. God's going to still do what He says He's going to do. And we have to be dependent on Him no matter what comes our way. No matter what comes against us, no matter what stands up against us, nothing will ever win. Because God is greater 
And the God of all is in us. And He cannot be defeated. So we have to look at it in this, in this very way. We have no information how bad, how extremely bad the experience got for Paul when he went through even Ephesus. But he recognized the experience had been beneficial. Like, in other words, the difficulty he had been through had been beneficial to the road ahead of where he was going. It had driven him back to God. It had driven him back to the right mindset. And it had proven in his life, Paul's life, it proved his dependence on God. His utter dependence on God for everything. He could not do any of this on his own. So not only do we understand the lessons we have to learn, but secondly, we have to sometimes, and I know we don't like to do this, change our attitude, right? How many of you have ever been told to change your attitude? And usually it comes with a certain look. Change your attitude, right? When I was growing up, <clears throat> when I was growing up, it was called an attitudinal adjustment. Uh, you know, it wasn't what I said, but how I said it. You know, one of those type conversations that got me into hot water, you know, sometimes it's the way that we bring about things that, you know, affect somebody's receptibility to what we've done. So in this instance, any time that you and I are wronged, we must realize that the real injury is not the wrong, but the attitude of the person that brings it to us, right? Seldom does being wronged cripple us, but we can cripple ourselves if we have an unforgiving spirit in us, can't we? You know, if we have that attitude that they've wronged us or this person's wronged us or they've done us wrong, so we're going to be that same way right back to them, right? We're going to return what they've done. We're going to do wrong to them. If they've done us wrong, we're going to do wrong to them, right? That's the best way to do it, right? That's what the world teaches us, right? But if we're to have the attitude of Christ, we look at the ways that we respond whenever we suffer through these things, these type of injustices. We need to have an attitude first, an attitude of openness. Openness, How is, what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13. Somebody read that. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13. Until the end. So, an attitude of openness. The testimony of our conscience. Holy and godly sincerity. Not in fleshly wisdom. We've conducted ourselves especially towards you. Some claimed that Paul in his letters didn't quite mean what he said. But Paul said this. Paul said there's no hidden messages in his words. The word of God says what it needs to say in other words, right? As we walk and mature as Christian believers, we're better able and equipped to learn and read it in a more deeper manner, I believe. I believe there are things that I'm still learning about God's Word that I'm still figuring out, that God's still revealing to me. 
And there are things that I've been through and there are things that I'm going through that help me to have the right attitude of being willing and open for God to use me wherever I am. Even when I'm wronged, I have a responsibility not to do back to that person in the same way. You know, in today's language, it might be like this. It'd be call an ace an ace and a spade a spade, right? We just call people for what it is. But what are we supposed to say when we've been wrong? We just need to tell the truth, right? We need to tell the truth. Do not get accusative, vindictive in that way, but be open. Be open to what God wants us to do. But also we need to have an attitude of forgiveness. Attitude of forgiveness. Now, when Paul came to Corinth, he encountered the ringleader of the opposition against him, right? Paul's short visit had been poisoned by the efforts of one man. Now, this man insulted Paul, and the man had been disciplined. Some church members thought not serious enough and wanted greater punishment. So this man, they wanted to be punished even more. And it was even in Paul's greatness then that showed through. Paul said that it had been done enough. So the man who had done him wrong, the man who had partnered with church people and Judaizers and all those, the man who had done such wrong had received just punishment. And they wanted to punish him more. But the one who he hurt, Paul, said he's been done enough. It's been done enough. That there would be no more discipline needed to be done. That it might bring the man to disrepair. In other words, it might totally turn the guy off to believing in Jesus Christ and changing his life. It might totally turn him off to doing what's right and living according to what Paul was trying to teach. It might totally turn him away. So sometimes the way that we react to things in that manner can turn somebody away. So we've got to think about gathering back instead them to the kingdom of God, bringing them back in. We've also got to have another attitude, and this attitude is of innate integrity. Second Corinthians 3, 1 through 2 there are two types of integrity. Infused integrity, which is the reputation we hope to gain by what others say about us. And then innate integrity. That is the character that is ours because of the persons we are. Now, one of those is counterfeit, right? The other one is genuine. One is assumed and the other is inherent. Now, when we've been done wrong... We should display the attitude of innate integrity. That means the integrity is the character that is ours because of the person that we are, right? Now, how many of us know that we don't have to answer every challenge that's put against us, right? Our lives and character are answer enough. But there's also something that Paul was saying there. There's ministries to fulfill. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 1. 2 Corinthians 4.1 was a call to the people that were in those churches, in those places, to not lose heart. And in that, in that first verse of that chapter, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, 
we do not lose heart. In essence, what he was saying, in spite of the terrible wrong that's been done to me, I will not be discouraged and I will not quit because I have ministry to fulfill. How many of us simply give up when we've been done wrong? When we've been done wrong, we just give up. Now, if Paul had been that discouraged, easily discouraged, then he would have quit the ministry long before he got to Corinth, right? Because he had already been through innumerable things that would have turned most of us with a bad taste for things and had us to throw our hands up and give up. But we can't allow the criticisms, the ills that others bring about on us to distract us from our calling. We have ministry to fulfill. One of the great ministries that we have to fulfill is the same one that Paul was trying to do. We have to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, right? That is, that's what we're set before us. That's what we're set to do, right? So let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 5. It backs this up. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. What is a bondservant? What's a bondservant? Is it a regular old servant? A bondservant for us is what? That means that we voluntarily serve Christ because of the redemption and forgiveness we've been given, right? We're connected with Christ. We serve Him because of what He's done. And so that, that leads us in that direction. So 2 Corinthians 4, skipping forward a few verses, verse 7 says this about what we have. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, as I said a minute ago, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, per persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who are... Her, who are alive are constantly being delivered over to our death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Second Corinthians five eighteen says this. It says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg of you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Y'all, we are, we are in this world, but we are not of this world, right? We have to live day to day with people that that don't believe like we do or don't have a faith at all. We have to deal with people day to day that challenge our faith and our sanity sometimes. They, they challenge us in every affront. But we must be ones who fulfill a ministry that God has given us. Especially when we're wronged by others, we are to separate ourselves from the world. 
and dedicate ourselves and dedicate the things that we have unto the Lord. You know, there's, there's many different ministries. One is dedicating our possessions, and that means giving as each is purpose in their heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but a cheerful giver is what God wants us to do, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. But we also celebrate our sufferings. How many of us love to celebrate our sufferings? Anybody? Anybody just go, yes, today is going to be a hard day. Yes, I love it when I get insults thrown at me. Go ahead, right? Come on, right? But if it leads us to grow deeper with Christ, it leads us to be more dependent on Christ, then come on, right? If it gets me closer to Him, come on. If it leads me to be more open and honest about my faith, then come on, right? It lets me know that whatever comes my way, I can withstand it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there have been given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me this, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? We remember all those verses, right? Sometimes we need to write them down. So that when these things happen, when insults are thrown against us, when we have more than we can effectively bear in our minds, in our hearts, we can turn to the words of Scripture, turn back to the direction of God, turn our hearts towards Him, find our comfort in Him, find our direction from Him, find our witness of what we're supposed to be about from Him, so that when we understand, when we face these things, not if we do, right? Because I think years ago you think, well, if I go through those things, then I'll know better, right? No, because I've been through the things I've been through, because you've been through the things you've been through, you know that when you're at your worst estate, when you're at your weakest, that's when God's at His strongest in you. Because all the other stuff's out of the way, right? Sometimes there's things in our lives that prove to us we don't need all the things that we think we need. Right? We don't need to be comfortable all the time. Sometimes we need to be shaken up. Sometimes we need to be turned upside down. Sometimes we need to deal with life's difficulties to remind us who's most important. Paul was saying in this passage that if, it's, if, God's, if this is God's suffering, and if it's going to stay with me, I'll turn my suffering into celebration. He was saying if... if, if it will become a ministry of celebration because my suffering is a, lim a living demonstration of Christ's power in me to sustain me. I don't know if I have the maturity or the wherewithal sometimes to say those kind of things when I deal with things. But the Word of God is still, is still right here, right? I can come to it, right? I can get it. I can go back to that passage. I can underline, I can highlight, I can write, and I can remind myself that when I am dealing with these things, when I have been wronged, 
This is where I come to. He's who I go to. So that I have the attitude, the heart, the comfort, the direction, the words, the response to lead somebody towards Him rather than to shut them down and turn them away from Christ by the way that I've lived. So when we've been wronged, we have lessons to learn, attitudes to display, and ministries to fulfill. And whatever wrongs we face, we can say with Paul what he says in 2 Corinthians 2.14. He says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. It doesn't just say in some areas. It says everywhere, right? So that we can know that He will be with us wherever we go. And we can look around and see that He is present. So when we've been wronged, we can look back over those passages and know that God's going to have a great work in us if we allow Him to. And our response, it matters. Our response to the world matters. Our response to God matters during those times. And we must turn to Him in that way. That's what we do when we've been wronged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come this evening. God, we are so oftentimes perplexed, overwhelmed. God, oftentimes we feel like we've been given more than our share. And Father, we've been wronged in some way. Father, Paul stood for his faith unapologetically. And he went through tumultuous times, difficult times, times that made him want to walk away, but he realized what we should realize, that our strength comes from you. Our comfort comes from you. That even in affliction, you give us the strength that we need to endure, to overcome, and to speak the truth in love. Father God, we know that Paul had an opportunity to continue to pile on this guy who had done him wrong, more and more wrong. But he said it's enough in order that he might win him to Christ. He might be able to have the conversation he needed to have. And God might heal him. Father God, I pray for us if our hearts are not in the right place, if we need that change in our lives, God, that we would do so this evening. Father God, I just pray that you work in us, mature in us, God. Give us a fresh and a new heart that we might be able to live more effectively for you. And Father God, we will give you the glory forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. You can help this podcast by subscribing and rating with those stars on the page and or leaving a comment. Also, you can help us by sharing this with your friends 